I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy and not a gender. This is a very special episode of Bad Dad, Rad Dad. Very special. I feel very fancy. <laughs> and I'll explain why. So this is this is our IFE week. So we partnered with our buddies at the Edmonton International Film Festival, or IFE for short, and they hooked us up with, and this is where the fanciness comes in. And they hooked us up with some screeners yeah. for some of the films that are going to be playing at the film festival later this month. We're officially famous. Pretty much. I think that as soon as you get screeners and you've hit screener status, pretty much famous. Yeah. Yeah. What more is there to do? <laughs> right? I know. Next stop. Hollywood, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. Watch out, Paul Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> We've also been watching a lot of great British Bake Off. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was saying today when we were watching it that um, a friend of mine always asks the question as like an icebreaker of like, if you had your own TV show, what would your theme music be? And I think for our Cat Thompson, his theme music would be the theme to the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree, but I think it's oh. cute. Yeah. I think you'd have something more like freaky stories, like that's good. What would yours be? I don't know. I have to think about it. All right. Yeah. I said initially and years and years ago, I said like Time to Pretend by MGMT. Oh, you like start of spring, summer kind of guy? I always listen to MGMT when like the sun comes out for the first time. Yeah, I like that. Okay. It's groove. It's moving and grooving. Yeah, it is. All right. We'll think on it. Yeah. But we watched four movies this week that were provided to us from IFE, which is very cool, very exciting. Um, so let's, yeah, let's get into it. So the first movie that we watched is a film called Rosie. Uh, all of these are from 2022. Obviously, they're premiering at the Film Fest. Um, this is a comedy drama. This is the uh, the IFE opening night film, actually. So this is the first one to kick it off. 
It was directed and written by Gail Maurice. It's a, it's a Canadian-made movie, which is very cool. Um, the synopsis is, an orphaned indigenous girl is forced to live with her reluctant, street-smart, francophone auntie and her two gender-bending best friends in 80s Montreal. If that isn't a cool synopsis, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It stars Melanie Bray as Fred, uh, Carrie's Hope Hill as Rosie, Constant Bernard as Flo, and Alex Trahan as Mo. What'd you think of Rosie? I think for an opening night film, this one is a really good choice mm-hmm. because it's a really delightful movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It really it paints a really beautiful portrait of Chosen Family, mm-hmm. which I really like. Um, and its characters, it spends a lot of time with each of its main mm-hmm. characters, which I really appreciate. Like the who you would kind of assume to be background characters throughout the film play a pretty prominent role. And uh, and I think that once the character of Rosie is introduced, like I, 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 when we were watching it, we're like, it's called Rosie. Like, but like, when does Rosie like play into all of this? But Rosie plays a big part in all of it. Yeah. When we were watching it, I was like at first not quite sure like where all the narrative threads were going because mm-hmm. there are like so many of these characters are given really equal weighting. Um, and then when the film took me to the place that started to draw all those threads together, I was like, oh, I see what you're doing. And mm-hmm. it's really lovely. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it kind of brought out uh, really effectively that I liked was this sense of belonging and, you know, how it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily Rosie's story, but it's also just like the sense of belonging within, you know, your quote unquote regular family and then your chosen family, but also society and your communities and how you kind of fit into that and the you know, the speed bumps or the things that you kind of come up against as you're trying to find this sense of belonging. I thought that was kind of an interesting play as well. Mm-hmm. What did you think of uh, the characterization of, of our, of our leads? Good. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that's really great about this movie is that it's really wonderfully inclusive without like being like PSA inclusive. Yeah. Like it, not even just in the main cast, but in like the way that they walk through 80s Montreal and encounter other people along the way. Um, and the fact that like sex work is normalized, but not this like prominent part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, non-binary or trans identity is normalized without again being like the central part of the story. Mm-hmm. There's this like effortless flow between like francophone and English community. And then even um, through a character played by Brandon Oaks, who is in one of our favorite shows of all time and with an E also like Cree language. And so there's just some really interesting like interconnection of culture, identity, society that is so beautiful and diverse in the film without feeling like it's trying to be like a, stamped PSA. Yeah. It's it's yeah, it's very much just like these are the people that kind of flow in and out of each other's lives and they've all connected or have some form of relationship with each other and it's yeah, exactly. You nailed it. Like they're not beating you over the head with any sort of agenda. They're just like these are these are people. And I mean, that's not to be said 
I do like being beat over the head with an agenda. Like I like PSA. This is a like 100% whatever film. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's really lovely how there's a diversity of like ways of being in the world that is showcased here without it being like, because it's filtered through the lens of this like six year old girl. I think she's six in the movie. Mm. Like it's, it's um, just shown to be like a normal part of life and like everybody's human. In fact, the only things that are really denigrated in this film are systems. Yeah. Like systems that don't seek to give people dignity and, like the things that will help them to thrive. Yeah. Set, setting this uh, against the like 80s backdrop as well. This has some really good needle drops. Yeah. There's yeah. some like really great 80s tunes throughout this thing that really drive it. I like it. So like Gail Maurice, the director and writer of this, um, this is her first feature. And it's based on a sh- the short that she made of the same title. Yeah. Did you look at her website at all? No. Well, it's not her website, but there's a website for the short film. Mm. And I had there's a little bit of a uh, thing on it that I thought was interesting that I want to read. So it says that Assini Productions was founded by award-winning... <laughs> Let's try that again. Winning. Assini Productions was founded by award-winning indigenous filmmaker Gail Maurice. After several years working independently, Melanie Bray first partnered with Gail on the, her last short film, Assini. Both are passionate about telling indigenous stories and narratives with strong female subjects or characters. Almost every character in Rosie is female and the crew that worked on the film was over 75% female. So cool. So that's for the short film. But um, having that be this bolded, emphasized part of the website for that short film, I would assume, hopefully correctly, that that I carried through to the feature film mm-hmm. and that that will continue to be like an important part of the work that Gail Maurice and Melanie Bray are doing together, which is really exciting and really important. Yeah, I agree. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Something with this movie is that I really, I really felt for the character of Fred because I feel that even though we have different backgrounds and different personality types and whatnot. There's this sort of, you know, independence and just wanting to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it. I relate to that. (laughs) I like that big reason why we're not having, why we're not having children. Um, But but I also think if one of our siblings, children needed to be taken care of because our sibling no longer could do it we would probably take that mantle up yeah. and we would be <laughs> probably able to relate to Fred a lot because that isn't something we wanted or had chosen, but ultimately that's the role we need to play. Right. Yeah. But I feel for her in, you know, her life being interrupted and just kind of thrown askew by having to then take on the responsibility for a child. Mm hmm that she wasn't expecting expecting to have to take on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just kind of put myself in those shoes and I, I feel like it'd be very difficult mm-hmm. and it'd be, yeah, it'd be challenging. I, yeah, I, that just like really resonated with me and yeah, I just, it's kind of reiterated to me like how much I, I don't want to have kids, but <laughs> 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 I don't think that's the message of this movie. No, and like, but I just, I really, I, I could, I feel, I felt a relation to Fred and her situation and how that could be really tough 
But on the flip side of things, the kid in this, Rosie, is somebody that would be absolutely lovely to have in your life. Yeah. She's she she's great. She's just a bright light. Yeah, to everybody in this movie mm-hmm. that she meets. Um, even like given her past and the things that she's been through. Mm-hmm. She's just this yeah, bright spot that appears in everybody's life. And the actress who plays her like does a great job. Super sweet, super lovely. I also love Montreal as a city. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to see it, see those like beautiful spiral staircases and all of the like brick, but brick that's kind of more cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a hipster brick. Hipster brick, yeah. Yeah. And then put it in the 80s. Um, we've been to Montreal a couple times and I always think that I could easily move there if I could speak French or more more accurately if you could speak French. <laughs> and uh, it was really cool to see a film filmed there. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, especially, yeah, just Montreal in the 80s. Like, Great decade, great city. Mm-hmm. Excellent pairing. Um, how did Rosie make you feel? Made me feel pretty sweetly happy. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, you know, I did have that sort of empathy for the character of Fred, but it also, yeah, it, it, it made me feel happy just the way that everything kind of unfolded and just, yeah, I think that sweetly happy is a great way to describe it. Oh, what a great film to like open a festival with that can make you feel that kind of way just hopeful about the world and about the people in it while also being really inclusive of the different ways of being in the world and the different ways of creating family yeah i like that i love that yeah love that as a takeaway for the opening of a film festival the next one we watched was a documentary we watched two documentaries this week and i'm pretty excited to talk about this one because it has somebody that i'm a pretty big fan of heavily featured in it. So the documentary is called Revival 69, The Concert That Rocked the World. And as with all of the films that are going to be at IFE, it is a 2022 film, or at least all of the films that we watch that are going to be at IFE. It was directed by Ron Chapman and written by Phyllis Ellis. Um, a synopsis that I found is coined the second most important event in rock and roll history. The Toronto Rock and Roll Revival was a one-day event held at Toronto's Varsity Stadium. With a lineup that included Little Richard, The Doors, and Alice Cooper, Revival was expected to be a can't-miss event. But when ticket sales unexpectedly fizzled, resulting in a near cancellation, promoter John Brower threw out a Hail Mary. At the 11th hour, he invited John Lennon to perform. Astonishingly, he said yes. (laughs) (laughs) This story is totally bananas. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the documentary that told us this story? Yeah, I... I'm so grateful to this documentary because I had no idea about this Toronto rock and roll revival show and just how absolutely wild it was from its inception to its execution. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's a banana story. It it is. And it, this, (laughs) this documentary doesn't hold back at just walking you through the, it made me stress. Yes. Like putting this thing together seemed so stressful. And it was put together by like two like people in their early 20s. Yeah. Just looking at this this lineup, like Bo Diddley, Chicago, Alice Cooper, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Gene Vincent, Little Richard, uh, The Doors. And then, yeah, the 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 first appearance of the Plastic Ono Band, which was like John Lennon, Yoko Ono, Eric Clapton, 
a couple other guys. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who. Sorry, other guys. Um, but that that's wild. And yes. all in like a day. Yeah. Yeah. I simultaneously, as I was watching this, was like, I wish I had been there, but also was like, I would have been so exhausted. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what a long day. No, I think time. that's why like everyone was on drugs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the late 60s, early 70s. Just everyone's on drugs all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, because it's nuts. Because, yeah, there's like over 20,000 people there. So what was cool about this is not only does it bring us this story, and I honestly was shocked that neither you or me knew about this story mm-hmm. because we both, you know, aside from movies, music is like the other big thing in our life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we've been to a, a lot more concerts than the average person and spent a lot of our money on concerts, <laughs> yeah. including saying, seeing the same bands again and again, like we do with movies. We'll watch the same movie again and again. And so that neither of us knew about this. Mm-hmm. And we also were like big fans of Canadian music. Now, granted, most of the people playing at the show weren't Canadian, mm-hmm. but we are pretty committed to like Canadian music and Canadian like music festivals and that kind of thing. Like we that's an important part of how we listen to music. Mm-hmm. So not only was it wild to hear this story, but there's so much footage from the actual show. Oh, it's incredible. Like we're actually seeing, you know, Alice Cooper performing in, not that I really listen to Alice Cooper or know much about him, but we're seeing a performance that like is before Alice Cooper was big. We're seeing um, Chicago before Chicago were big. Like, I don't even think they went by Chicago at the time. They went by Chicago Transit Authority. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was totally wild mm-hmm. to see that. And then along the way to learn that there's actually so many iconic things that are now a part of the zeitgeist or concert culture that actually originated at this show and we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I don't even want to say what they are because, like, like, I was aghast as I'm like, what? The first time that ever happened was in Toronto? Yeah. Like, that is wild. So, you know, it was just, it was a, it was stressful, but also, like, really exciting. You'd be, like, excited, and then you'd be stressed, and then you'd be excited. And, like, it felt like we were putting on the event with them. Yeah. Well, yeah, and just the way it unfolded to them, because the documentary does a great job of kind of building up of how they wanted to do this thing, and then they started building the lineup, and then they they're, like, as they're adding to the lineup, you're like, how are they doing? Like, <laughs> like who who allowed this? <laughs> yeah, can we like talk to the folks who did this and be like, how do you get big names into your small festival? Because help us get big names onto our small podcast. <laughs> like the world has changed, clearly. Like, oh, you yeah. can just call John Lennon up when you're some like <laughs> small time Canadian festival. That's never existed before. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know your name. And you can just call him up and be like, want to come to Toronto and play a show? Yeah. Like, where do I get those digits? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody dial us into Elijah Wood, please. <laughs> <laughs> but that was wild. I mean, so something that happened as I was watching this is, you know, you speaking of at the beginning of of, of the, show, the show today, you said there's that question that a coworker asks. A question that, I think about a lot is that um, question of if you could like live back in any decade that wasn't now, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And like somewhere in the 60s, 70s, I think I would want to go like 65 to 75 if I had Mm -hmm. to pick like a 10 year gap to be like a teenager slash young adult in. Mm -hmm. 
And like this made me so jealous of living in that time. Mm -hmm. And just like these things that are happening for the first time. And we don't have this world that has such an oversaturation of media. Like I often feel like I can't listen to all the music I could ever want to listen to or watch all the movies I ever want to watch or read all the books I ever want to read because there's too much. And all of it's good. Well, I think like we've almost all watched all the movies. <laughs> We're doing pretty good with <laughs> yeah. the movies. But, but then other things take a backseat, you know, like anytime somebody tells me like, hey, there's this good thing. And it's like, how do I put that onto my plate with everything else? Yeah. And then you look at this and you see all of these amazing bands just like lined up in one show. It's wild. I want to be there. Yeah. Well, and... They did such a great job. It just, again, it seemed like such a passion project for everybody involved. Um, There's like motorcycle gangs involved. Oh, it yeah. was wild. <laughs> but um, the the camera crew, they they have little segments about them. And, you know, the like you mentioned, the, the footage they capture is amazing. But it just, it really captures just the energy and the off the cuffness totally. of some of the performances. Like was it was it Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry? Yeah. That had was it Alice Cooper's backing band? No, it was it maybe? I don't know. I can't remember. But there there was just like these guys that are, you know, Chuck Berry's legendary and they look they totally, you know, aspire to the the level of talent and fame as Chuck Berry and now they're getting to play with him and they've never they don't just, even rehearse there's so much of this too yeah nobody's rehearsed together and nobody's played together there's a lot there's there's a few instances of this throughout this story and that's like my as a musician that's my nightmare I've had <laughs> nightmares about getting on stage and not knowing how to play like not the being songs prepared. but like yeah. this is something that's happening not even just with the like music portion of the festival but it almost reminds me of, and and bear with me because I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, so more the concept of this movie, but like what's happening in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, this idea of like you don't know where the band's going to play and people mm. are trying to like figure it out, where like all of a sudden like a, you know, well-known documentary filmmaker hears about this like little like Toronto thing and is like, what? All these people are playing? I got to get down there and film this. Mm -hmm. Or all of a sudden this like journalist, like a, a very well-known music journalist is like, I got to get down there and see this and write about it. Yeah. And it's all coming together at the last minutes so that you have a camera crew, a like successful camera crew that knows what they're doing. You have rock, like music journalists who like are going to be able to put this in print and they're all finding out about this at like the 11th hour. Yeah. Like <laughs> just getting there at the last minute. And you feel that like frenzied energy and this like feeling like anything could go wrong at any time because narratively how this how this documentary takes us on the journey is like from inception to final performance. We just like linear in a linear way go through that journey with them. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I felt like there wasn't necessarily a theme that pulled everything together. But because the story itself is so fascinating I think probably to try and focus on one singular theme, like focus on just the John Lennon of it or focus on just the like how they had to bring in these modern bands in order to get people to want to see these classic rock and roll legends or focus on like these young 20 something guys who like pull this off. You'd end up losing some of just the 
history of the story. And the story is just like fascinating. Yeah. Well, and like just to button my thought from earlier, you know, amidst, you know, having not rehearsed, having everything being done at the 11th hour, having to change and adapt how things are being done, pulling people in at the last minute, despite all of that, it gets pulled off. Mm -hmm. Everything works and Mm -hmm. it becomes this legendary event that we haven't heard of. (laughs) (laughs) but probably should have. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's, it's incredible. But I I do agree with what you're saying. Like that's, that's the one thing for me with this is that it did feel like it, it started to wander a bit. Like we kind of started with one kind of story and then we sort of wandered into a couple other focuses in Um, order to capture the entirety of what happened. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is when you capture the entirety of what happened, happens there's a lack of cohesiveness because that's real life yeah and like that's the thing i was gonna say too it like it feels very much like somebody's like uncle telling a story <laughs> it's like oh then this and then this and you oh and then there was this which honestly fits the vibe because the cast of characters in this who are real people are so ragtag you can't even imagine yeah well that's just like the whole thing is ragtag mm-hmm. like from the lineup to the the timeline and to even the formation of the plastic ono band oh yeah like the, I, the, the fact that they're writing and rehearsing songs on the plane ride to toronto wild what <laughs> and if you were at all like me somebody who the beatles are incredibly important to and i know this isn't the beatles but it's you know honestly an interesting companion piece to get back yeah, having wa- yeah, having watched Get Back, this was I felt like I had more insight. Yeah, because this, this basically is following directly on the heels of that, right? Because mm-hmm. if this is 1969, when's the rooftop concert? Mm, good question. I'm going to look it up. Hell yeah. I should know. That was January 30th, 1969. And so then the Toronto Rock and Roll Revival, September 13th. So like really these are this is happening in the same year. Yeah. So if you I mean I might even suggest that as like binge get back. It's long. (laughs) So good. And then go see this at IFE. If you are at all somebody who cares about the Beatles story and particularly John Lennon's story, because this is the continuation of that. Mm -hmm. And while it's not entirely focused on John Lennon, the parts that um, bring in John Lennon and Yoko Ono and the plastic Ono band, I think help to carry forth the story that get back so so offers to like get back offers to the audience footage that they, you take what you want with it mm-hmm. like you do with it what you will mm-hmm. and the parts of this that are about john lennon are very similar as well we don't have talking heads from john lennon because he's not around to do that yoko ono doesn't give any talking heads and i don't think i think the drummer from the plastic ono band talks a little bit or from that performance, but we don't hear from Eric Clapton either. No. So like that footage is very similar to get back in the sense of watch it and make up your mind about what's going on with it. Yeah. So I think what a, yeah, such a fascinating, interesting story. And I just makes me wish that I had been living in that time. And I bet you like, I know they, they have several talking heads from people who were there, but several of them say that they were very much on drugs. <laughs> like very much on acid the entire time. Yeah. So I don't know how well people remember it. So thank goodness we have footage of it. <laughs> wild, yeah. wild story. 
Um, for the record, the decade I go back to would be the 80s. Yeah, I know. Surprise, surprise. We would miss each other. Yeah. Or you'd just have to be into like an older person because we'd <laughs> yeah. meet up in the 80s. You you want to be like a teenager and young adult in the 80s. Yeah. It's like born in like late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Yep. So here's not to get off of the documentary here. But it sounds like I want to be born when my parents were born and you want to be born when your parents were born. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But if I could just, you know, even if it was me now and I just got to travel back, stay the same age I am. And yes. Just like do it now. Like go, go live the 10 years, but stay the same age. You know, it'd be cool, though, if we could get like a buddy pass and I could bring you to like 65 to 75 with me. And then like you could bring me to the 80s with you. And yeah. I think we both want to go to England in that time. Yeah. I would I've always said even though I'm not the 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 biggest Beatles fan. I like the Beatles, but I'm not the biggest fan. I I've always said it would be fucking so cool to go back to like the first ever Beatles concert, like when they're playing in the basement. Yeah, but I want to hear them when they're doing their experimental stuff. I mean, yeah, I don't only want to see the Beatles <laughs> when they're doing that. I want to like I want to see all of the I want to see all the hits. You want to see the Plastic Ono band too? Uh, <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> I'll go to I'll go to the uh, Toronto Rock and Roll Revival show, but there's some funky stuff that happens. <laughs> it's funny. Even yeah. even members of the own ba- own band think that there's some funky stuff. You got to see it to believe it. I you know if you are somebody that cares about music and you don't know this story, you got to go see this story. So wild. Mm-hmm. How did Revival '69 make you feel? Just awestruck. Yeah. <laughs> like from the lineup to the the whole <laughs> the whole prepping for the event, the execution of the event, the things that came out of the event that have so much more cultural resonance now that I had no idea originated in this event. Just the importance of of it and the fact that I didn't know about it had just has me totally gobsmacked. Yeah. But what about you? I, I have a gog. I was just like mouth open so many times during this. You and I turned to each other and we're like, what? Pardon me. <laughs> Excuse me. We're like, and now they're getting the doors. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my goodness. So if, yeah, yeah. If you two want to be gobsmacked. Yeah. See Rosie and feel really nice. Then go see this and feel like just unable to control your wonder at how things could be in the 60s like if you have no idea what this is like us i feel like you're you're in for just a a great education yeah. going to see don't this. google anything i don't know what it'd be like if you know about it if you've maybe even if you even attended it and now have an opportunity to go see this documentary um but i feel like it would be just like a great you know, way to recap something that you're already aware of and learn mm-hmm. some learn some cool kind of behind the scenes stuff. So yeah, recommend checking this one out. It was it was wild. Um, oh man, I am <laughs> really, I am really excited to talk about this next one. Yeah, this is where getting to watch this as a screener. This was made special. me feel like the most important person in the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, this this was incredible. Okay, so the next movie that we watched. It was another documentary. It was called Butterfly in the Sky. Uh, it's directed by Bradford Thomason and Brett Whitcomb. And the synopsis of it is chronicles the journeys 
of the broadcasters, educators, and filmmakers who created the beloved show Reading Rainbow with the belief that television could inspire a lifelong love of reading. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, Okay. What did you think of Butterfly in the Sky? Wow. This is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like. Oh, yeah. Hands down. It's incredible. Like, you know, like with what you just said with Revival 69, I'm curious what it would be like to watch this if you have no concept of what Reading Rainbow is or if you've just never watched it. But. As soon as it started and they started showing footage from the like the show, it was like it unlocked this buried foundational memory, mm-hmm. buried foundational memories that I had where I'm like, I, I knew I knew the, the theme song and I knew I knew who LeVar Burton was, but it made me just like realize I watched that show more than I remember. Mm-hmm. And it just brought it right back to me. What's your what's your history with Reading Rainbow? So it's a little bit complicated for me, and I, I feel like a, a bit of a jerk talking about it in this way. But Reading Rainbow for me, as far as I can remember, was a really like brief sojourn of my life mm. because m- me and all three of my siblings read at a really advanced level really young. Mm-hmm. And Reading Rainbow was really targeting, you know, elementary age kids, but focused on picture books. Right. And when I was in elementary, I was, you know, when other kids were reading picture books, I was reading like young adult chapter books. So I was reading like, I was reading Goosebumps when I was like, should be reading picture books. And then when I should have been reading Goosebumps, I was reading like Fear Street. Mm-hmm. And then when I should have been reading Fear Street, I was reading The Shining, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I don't think I watched it as much as other people would have who were at the reading level that the show was targeting for also the age it was targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm so glad it existed. And maybe it wasn't made for someone like me. Like it was literally made to inspire a love of reading. And I'm a really, really, really lucky person. And my siblings are really lucky people that both of our parents were dedicated to inspiring a love of reading in us when we were nonverbal even. Like when we were newborn babies they were reading to us Mm -hmm. and they read to us every night and you know my dad was still reading out loud to me when I was in junior high we would read Harry Potter together and he would do the voices and you know it's I'm so grateful that I had that but other people didn't Mm -hmm. and this show was that for them Mm -hmm. what about you what's your history with reading Rainbow it was it was kind of in the rotation when I was a kid of, you know, it was reading rainbow. It was Mr. Dress up. It oh, was, Mr. Dress up. it was Mr. Rogers. Um, it was PJ Katie's farm. <laughs> and, you know, I, well, I, I don't think that I had to my recollection, like a big push to read. Um, but I did it, you know, I kind of went in and out of my passion for reading and I, I, <laughs> Even now, I'm I'm still very influenced <laughs> by things that I like. I mean, even watching this documentary makes me want to like pick up books again. Um, I would be so happy <laughs> if this documentary made you pick up a book again. Because I I do love reading. It just I struggle to you know if make I'm, the time for it is what it, you struggle to do. Exactly, that's exactly it. But I remember watching Reading Rainbow, its iconic intro and theme song, which are delved into in this documentary. Oh my goodness, which is also yeah, great. amazing. Um. But I mean, as soon as I heard that, like, it's such a, it's such a gentle show. 
Mm-hmm. And it's such a lovely show and positive show that, you know, I, I loved watching it. But what they tackle in this documentary and put on full display here is the passion of the people behind yeah. it. Because it's not only that they're, you know, they're pushing to put this out, but they're pushing the program to its limits. Mm-hmm. Like they're showing you this story, but then they're also taking you to a part of the world that inspired either the whole story or a part of the story. Or it's very even loosely tied to the story and they're traveling the world to show kids these different parts of the world. Yeah, I was totally blown away by the love and passion and like personal investment that it seems everyone involved in the show had or at least everyone who agreed to come back and Mm -hmm. be a part of this documentary, which seemed to be the big players. Like we had... The people doing the music, we had the creator, we had the director, writer, we had LeVar Burton. Nobody is not wanting to be involved in coming back and talking about it now. And all of them get very emotional at different parts, especially when they talk about the end of Reading Rainbow. You know that it was on the air for so long with the same group of people running it for those 26 years. Mm -hmm. The same director, the same writer, the same showrunner, the same host. I think tells you what a family it was that was making it. Yeah. Because when does that ever happen? Yeah. The the love and the passion and the care from everybody. It's I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you keep a show running that long if you don't have all of those. And it was beautiful to see that because Reading Rainbow was a show that was on TV. That was all that it was to to me, especially as someone who didn't need that show to spark or continue a love of reading for me because that was in my household. Everyone in my house read. Everyone in my family still reads a ton. I'm a teacher of English literature and creative writing. You know, it's this is a part of who I am and always have been that like reading, I think, I, I mean, the theme song says it. You know, it can take you anywhere and it can make you anything. And I believe that. But how grateful am I that this show existed to help spark that love of reading for people who didn't have the luxury of having that in their household, right? Yeah. Or in their schools. Yeah. Well, and, you know, thinking thinking back to when I used to watch it, you know, well, you have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and you have Mr. Dress Up. You have PG Katie's Farm, but they're all... They all take place on sets, right? Don't forget the big comfy couch. Big comfy couch. But they all take place on sets. Mm-hmm. Reading Rainbow doesn't really have a set. Seems like a cool precursor to like Mythbusters and like <laughs> things like that, you know, like where you, yeah, you get like, to go out and like experience the world. Well, and they're, they were interested in showing people from different backgrounds and different cities and different parts of the world. That was something that blew me away is seeing this footage from the show of how diverse the kids were that were on it like they and it's one it would have been really easy to have the show just targeted to a white audience yeah but it's i think it's one thing to get diverse people to come to a set i think it's another thing to go to where they live and where they they go to school and i think that that the fact that they do that that they have that sort of dichotomy of wanting to show the different sort of people from around the world is beautiful What else was cool, and you and I talked about this after, and we, you know, for people that do not want to have children, um, we are big proponents of, like, not 
treating children as if they're less than. Mm-hmm. Um, like children are children and we, we need to meet them where they're at over the variety of their ages, but treating children as humans with voices and boundaries and dignity. And the show was so committed to that. Big time. To like speaking to children where they are at and not treating them with kids' gloves, right? Mm-hmm. While also being within the range of what they, you know, saying things in a way that's accessible to kids mm-hmm. while allowing them to talk about really tough stuff. Yeah. And giving them credit for like the emotional and social and like intellectual capacities they have that mm-hmm. we often fail to acknowledge kids have. Yeah. Well, I, I think a, a really great little micro example of that is the segment of the show where the kids <laughs> review the books that they've read. Yeah. But I, what I really loved, and I turned to you is, and they said this in the documentary, is that they call the segment the review, the, the book reviews, but it's more like rec- the kids recommending these things. Mm-hmm. And I actually liken that to what we do here. Like, I think if you're to put like, paint us with a broad brush we are a film review podcast but i think we both think of this as a film recommendation podcast mm-hmm. uh and i just lo- i love i love that because i just relate so much to that because these kids are just they're not feeding them lines no, it's that was totally amazing. unfiltered but it's so funny watching so many of them just pick it up immediately they're mm-hmm. just like i know what i want to say about this book i know what kind of persona i want to put out there and who i want to be to this camera and to the people potentially watching this but that also speaks to obviously what the show meant to them and how they saw the show valued them Mm -hmm. prior to being a being one of the book review kids and then also for obviously how they were treated when they were there and the fact that i think there's at least five of those kids who are now fully adults who come back to speak about it and have such positive things to say i don't know this like this it was so good. And like, holy shit, LeVar Burton is just like one of the best people that's ever existed, I think. Mm-hmm. Or one of the best people that exists. Like, I always knew that I just had like a fondness for him that I couldn't pinpoint why. Like, he just seems like a good guy. And then hearing his journey, like hearing him tell kind of his journey in acting, his philosophy behind the projects he takes hearing from others on the show and on other projects he worked on speak about him, hearing people who watched the show and he meant something to them, and then also hearing like just how he mattered, his presence on Reading Rainbow mattered socially and his presence on Star Trek, which they get into a little bit. It's incredible. Like that story, there's like two simultaneous stories happening happening here and one is like Reading Rainbow and what it meant or like public access television that took kids seriously and used the medium of television to try and create a love for reading. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the story of LeVar Burton, the person and what his journey is and what he meant to people and continues to mean to people. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. Yeah. Also, we have the same last name. Yeah. I like literally as we're watching, I'm like, Oh my God, his last name's Burton. That's my last <laughs> name. <laughs> <laughs> like I've just I know his name I've known his name my whole life but I just had never made that connection before and uh, I feel pretty proud to share a last <laughs> name with such a cool guy so good um yeah this uh the show reading rainbow 
is such a positive force that puts such a positive message and positive thoughts out into the world. And this documentary captures that and puts even more positive, just puts more positive things on display. And I just had a lump in my throat the whole time Mm -hmm. from the time the movie started. And like the thing, a happy lump. Exactly. Like the thing about me and the thing that has the ability to make me really emotional is anything that has has to do with kindness. Essentially, if things are too nice, I'm crying. (laughs) Like if, if it is just pushing the boundaries of genuine human kindness. Yeah. I'm destroyed. And this, this movie, it's just, it's just a force of positivity Mm -hmm. and openness and community and passion. And it's, it's captured so wonderfully all in this documentary. It's really great. Mm -hmm. It's really special. I wanted to ask you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what did, what did seeing this kind of mean to you as an educator? I mean, it was simultaneously so inspiring and also so sad because on the first day of each of my classes, which happened this past week, I always ask how many of you read outside of school. And I'm lucky if three kids raise their hands. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize like how much we still need something like this. Like, mm-hmm. especially something they talk about at length at the start of the documentary when they talk about like the conception of reading rainbow was that there was kind of this media worry, social worry that television was diminishing liter literary skills in kids and like that kids would be drawn to the TV versus reading. And so their thought was, well, let's go where kids are and, and then hopefully they'll pick up a book after and we we need that now and we need it for teenagers and we need it for kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just like this movie made me also appreciate how important I think my job is, even as like a grade 10, 11, 12 English teacher. And I try really hard, sometimes successfully, sometimes not to like, you know, make Shakespeare interesting. And even if I think I just said on Friday with like a short story I'm reading with my grade 12s. I don't expect you guys to like this. I said, in fact, it's a little dry. But I hope at the end of it that you see like the technique and the impressive like beauty in this story. And I don't know. I just, I felt a lot of feelings as someone that like reading is so important to you. Like how often do you see me reading? All the time. Yeah, like I, I just, I like that with my backpack when we went to Toronto was packed with books. Mm-hmm. And then I don't have the other things I need. I'm like, oh, I didn't pack sunscreen. And, I, you know, but I have five books. <laughs> <laughs> just in case, just in case, you know. I'll just wrap them around my arms. You know, when, when you and Ashley were like still doing the art gallery, I'm sitting down and reading. And I just, so it meant so much to me on that level of just like reading. I think reading is so important. And I think making reading accessible is so important. I just read my first audiobook. And I am more of a like paper reader. Like that's just what works for me. But I was like, man, audiobooks are awesome. And if that allows people who like for whatever reading reason that's more accessible to them to read in that way. Like I, I don't want to be an elitist reader. Like I just want I just want us to read. I just want us to hear stories. And and that's why I teach English. I want us to write stories. That's why I teach creative writing. I don't know. I loved this movie. Yeah. How did it make you feel? 
it just like honestly made me feel so inspired honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> it made me feel so inspired and like it like you said it is so nice mm-hmm. like I think it didn't just make me feel inspired as like somebody who loves reading and as somebody who like is a teacher. And it talks a lot about teachers in the movie, which was cool. Um, Very focused on elementary school teachers, but I think that that carries through to to where I am teaching. But it also just made me feel like inspired as a human being because I think it's really easy to, and important, but easy and important to like see the crappy stuff happening in the world and like the greed and the oppression and the inequality and and feel hopeless about that and Mm -hmm. i i don't think we ever want to like shut our eyes to that but i think it's also important that we see that there's beauty happening in the world and that there's people who are forces of good and like they saw a problem and they did something with it yeah like they didn't shut their eyes to a problem of like like part of this i believe this it's a line that is said across time that like education is the thing that empowers people, right? Being educated is empowering. And this show, like reading Rainbow, the show itself, the people involved in it saw these inequalities based on gender, based on socioeconomic status, based on ethnicity. They saw these inequalities in education and they wanted to find a way to level those inequalities. So that people could have power back. And like that's so inspiring. And that like we can all do that in our own ways. That like I'm probably not going to solve the climate crisis. But maybe teaching about literature can contribute in some way to that. Is like pretty inspiring. Totally. Yeah. Like if you inspire a kid to read. And they you know pick up a book. And there's something in them that resonates. That informs something they can do in the future that positively positively affects you know maybe their immediate community maybe that spreads even larger than that like it could start that small right it's it's really cool like i've been feeling a little hopeless lately and mm-hmm. like this injected me with some like much needed hope how about you yeah i, I, was I, I went on a long winded <laughs> how did that make me feel <laughs> a lot of feelings yeah yes um but yeah it it made me feel it made me feel hopeful and it want to be hopeful because mm-hmm. it is hard to be hopeful. Like you said, just, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to open up your Instagram feed and feel hopeful <laughs> about things. I, I'm grateful not only for this movie, but for what reading rainbow set out to achieve mm-hmm. and what the people behind it wanted to do with it. And yeah, I just feel I feel really excited that this movie is going to be shared mm-hmm. and uh, that more people are going to get to see it. It's, the story behind it is incredible. It, like, it is. It is. It is incredible. It is so well told in this. It's beautiful. It's like you said at the top and I totally agree. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. If not one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and we like documentaries. And if you didn't know, we like movies. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, it's refreshing to see a documentary like this when you look at some place like a streamer like Netflix that's so oversaturated with murders and whodunits mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff to do with the prison system. And it, just so much of the documentary content coming out of streamers is just based around these very painful and, 
you know, albeit real, but very complex and sad stories about humanity. To have something like this that's so uplifting and positive and, and inspiring. still complex. It's incredible. Like it's still complex and it doesn't shy away from the economic difficulties, from the social difficulties. Political from, difficulties. From, yeah, like it it hits on those moments and it shows shows painful moments between people involved in it. Mm-hmm. Go see it. Yep. And then see it again. Yeah. Go see it twice. Give this film all of... Your love. Yeah. And money. Uh, all right. Last okay. film of the week. Wow. I mean, I feel sorry for anything that comes after what we just <laughs> talked about. It's kind of like talking about anything after everything. Like, everywhere <laughs> all at once. So the last movie that we watched is the closing film for Ife. Started with the opening, ending with the closing. Appropriate. Appropriate. Um, so it's called The Swearing Jar, a 2022 movie. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Um Classified as a drama musical romance. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Directed by Lindsay McKay and written by Kate Hewlett. It stars Adelaide Clemens as Carrie, Patrick J. Adams as Simon, Douglas Smith as Owen, and Kathleen Turner as Bev. I will say some of the synopses that I've been reading around the web are pretty spoiler laden. So I've taken chunks of this out. And if you're interested in seeing this film, I highly recommend not looking at synopses, including in film catalogs for film festivals, because it, yeah, um, don't do it. You, uh, I thought you were going to say spoilery, and you said spoiler laden. I under, I, I got it, but it took me a second because I'm like, is that German? Laden with spoilers. S- spoiler laden. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the synopsis that I have put together by taking out portions of the synopsis, is Carrie, a music teacher, throws a birthday concert for her husband, Simon, which rekindles reminiscences of their past. Through comedy, music, and memory, we follow the story of Carrie and Simon's relationship. You wrote that? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I did not. I took a very big synopsis and took portions out of it to avoid spoilers. Well done. Yeah. What did you think of The Swearing Jar? Great title. Yeah. I think that this is a, I think this is a really great closing night film. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I feel like this, this is the kind of movie that has a wide appeal. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of audiences would really like this. Um, that being said, it's not typically the kind of story that you and I seek out. We're not big romance people. No, um, but the way that this story unfolded, I kept saying this while we're, after we had watched it, was that it had me leaning in. And and it had both of us kind of theorizing the whole time because we're just as it as the stories unfolding we're like okay what what's going on here what how is this gonna where's this gonna go it was so this a, is what I'm saying to you the synopses spoil that and I think but don't because that was like one of the most interesting parts of watching this was feeling a sense of mystery and mm-hmm. not quite knowing where that was going I liked that about it yeah. I, I, I would think hate it to have lost any of that intrigue that we yeah, had. Yeah, it would have it would have lost its power had I read the synopsis for it. And yeah. I haven't watched a trailer for it. I don't know if one exists. But I'm going to say if you're interested in that byline, you're probably going to really like the movie. Mm-hmm. So learn nothing else and just go see it. Yeah. Yeah, don't 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 seek out trailers or anything. Just just go see it. Um what I also liked about this is that you know while our opening night film Rosie 
is about chosen family. I feel like、mm. this does a great job of kind of showing the complicated nature of biological family, biological or not family. even biological family, but like the family you're raised in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's a really great juxtaposition、mm. from opening to closing night.、Mm-hmm. Um, Life with that strong curation. Damn, that programming is litty.、Um, this 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 film does a really great job. And we kind of noted it while we were watching it of just capturing the sweet little moments of relationship dynamics. Yeah, I did say while we were watching that I think the relationship between Simon and Carrie has some of the most realistic what it's like to live with your partner、mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. Yeah, like the things that when you're in a especially a long term relationship,、mm-hmm. like just those little things that are really weird and from an outsider. <laughs> They'd be like, "What are you two doing?" But it's just <laughs> these things you do all the time with、yeah. each other. And I, I thought that was really cool because I, I haven't seen that depicted very often. Like,、mm-hmm. you know, as people who have been in a relationship for getting very close to thirteen years here, to not when I see relationships depicted on screen that are supposed to look like what you and I experience, and then I'm like, "Well, that doesn't feel true."、Mm-hmm. It was cool to see that. Yeah, and I I feel like that doesn't happen if you have crappy actors. It was incredibly <laughs> well acted, very well acted. Which brings me to um, uh, important point, which is that first Patrick J. Adams, who plays Simon, is in the new A League of Their Own, which we've talked about a couple times. Go watch it. It's very good. It's、mm-hmm. very gay. It's very diverse. It's very inspiring. It's got sports and queerness. What more could you want? <laughs> So highly recommend that. But also Adelaide Clemens. We're watching the movie, and you're like, "Why do I know her from? What do I know her from?" And I was like, "Which kind of reminds me of Carrie Mulligan." And I'm like Carrie Mulligan, and then I'm like Michelle Williams, and then I'm like Kate Bosworth, and then I, I, I was stuck. My brain was stuck. I'm like, I know you so well. Who are you? And then I did my famous Twinkie fingies and like looked up some stuff after the movie and saw what she was from. And came downstairs, and I said, "We know her from something." Picture her speaking in a southern accent, and what did you say? Oh my God, she's Tawny from Rectify. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've mentioned Rectify before. One of the best shows ever made. Yep. Again, seek that out. Go watch. Adelaide、it. Clemens is a like I've only seen her in this and that.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, a, what a ridiculous! Is that, is that a renovation show? Yeah, this and that. <laughs> <laughs>、um, I've only seen her in Rectify and The Swearing Jar. Yeah, that I am aware of. And she's fantastic in both,、mm-hmm. and she should be in more things. Well, she has to. She is the lead in this movie. She holds it down, and yeah, really well. It's her from start to finish, and she does a fan, yeah, fantastic, fantastic job. I apologize to her for just comparing her to other actresses, yes, because she is her own person and is phenomenal. If you're a blonde white woman with very kissable cheeks. You're one of those people that I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Very kissable cheeks. She's great, though. She's really great. I have a cool piece of info. Intel, please. So we did see、um, in as the credits rolled because we always watch the credits roll that this was based on a play. Yes. But what I found out was that this was a play that first premiered at the Toronto Finch- Fringe Festival. Really, and that is really damn cool. That is cool. I because when this ended, we we were talking about it. I think that this would be really great as a play. 
I can totally see it playing out really well on stage. Which also makes me think that many people may have seen this as a play. I mean, chances are if it was at the Toronto Fringe Festival, it came here. Yeah. Because if you didn't know, dear listener, dear listener who doesn't live in Edmonton, because we have a few of those, handful maybe even, perhaps. So famous. (laughs) So famous. (laughs) The Edmonton Fringe Festival is the second biggest fringe festival in the world. Is that true? You didn't know that? (laughs) No. Yeah, it's second only to Edinburgh. Wow. Yeah, it's a big deal. That's Our fringe wild. festivals are really big deal. And you don't like fringe the way I like fringe. Yeah, I, I usually when it's going on, I have to like walk through it to get to somewhere I need to be. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, there's so many people here. Yeah, <laughs> I can't get to the next act to have a good burger. <laughs> Why are all these kooky people in here? <laughs> get out of my way. Yeah, I usually go to fringe with my mom. Um, and I love all parts of fringe. I love going to the plays. I love going to the street performers. I love eating the food. It's awesome. And so chances are if it was at the Toronto Fringe Festival, it also came here. Which is cool. If you saw a play called The Swearing Jar at Edmonton Fringe Festival, then cool to go see the movie. <laughs> like, why not? Um, Support another local festival. Yeah. So cool. I, I'm i a big fan of Fringe. I got my writing start at Fringe. The, oh, my yeah. first published writing was Fringe, Revu- Fringe Festival Play Reviews, Review Weekly, so R.I.P. Cool. R.I.P. So I love Fringe. Also... You know, as with Rosie, I am such a sucker for seeing like Canadian cities on film. Yeah. I'm just like, this feels, it's not Seattle. It's not Los Angeles. Like I'm getting to see something that feels more like home. Yeah. And while Edmonton is not like Montreal, I've been to Montreal and this was filmed in Hamilton, Ontario, which I haven't been to, but it had a bit of a like Garneau Edmonton vibe. Yes. Which uh, which was cool. I really liked that. Yeah, yeah. So this film, like the narrative, on its own, you know, isn't necessarily something that like I would seek out because I'm not a big romance movie watcher. Like if I see romance, second to action adventure, it's probably the genre that I like roll my eyes at the most. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's done really well and it's really well filmed and really well acted. Even if it's not totally the genre that I would usually seek out. Yeah. And I, when it was over, I was like, oh, there's people in my life that would, like, this would be a movie that they would just love so much. Yeah. And so I'm excited for that to be able to be something that is um, coming to our city. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like I said, off the top of that, the, the, I feel like the wide appeal of this film is so on point. And a great way to close out the Edmonton Film Fest. Plus, giving Adelaide Clemens some more airtime. And then, like, if you really love her, going to check out Rectify, which you will also really love. Yes. Uh, <laughs> can't, say, can't say enough good things about that. How did the swearing jar make you feel? At the end, I felt like there were certain parts of the story that I would have really loved for them to kind of chase and explore a little bit more or differently. But at the end, I'm glad that this story is getting out there and this is a story that a lot of people can witness and glom onto and, you know, maybe possibly relate to in some respect. Um, yeah, I'm I'm I, I I'm really stoked that this is this is a closing night film. What did you what do you think? What how do or how to make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> You're messing up our order. <laughs> uh, I was really engaged. 
Like it was a really engaging film and and I was really intrigued, which is why I'm so ticked that so many of the synopses I'm seeing online totally spoil the thing that kept me intrigued because mm-hmm. I'm curious if I would have felt differently of, about the film had like I just known all those things from the get go. Um, and I, I think that that's a shame. Um, also, I will never not have my heart swell when I say see Canadian money on film. <laughs> yeah. And a, a big portion of this film is about putting money into a jar. So you see a lot of like bright blues and bright purples and bright <laughs> greens. You know, Canadian money is fun. It's like monopoly money, but a little bit more durable. It's funny because I totally agree, but I feel <laughs> like the sort of the view of people outside of Canada on that is just like, look at Canada with their freaking play money. You know what though? Like American money is so boring looking. Sorry, Americans who are listening. Canadian money is fun. It's fun in your pocket. Yeah. American money's dusty. (laughs) And like, how do you tell the difference between a five and a 10 and a 20? They all look the same. Like we've got color coded differentiation. Yeah. Plus toonies and loonies. That's so fun to say. It's also like toonie. Looney. I mean, it's almost, even though it's not, but I'm going to assign this feeling to it, is that it's almost kind of like a bit of a middle finger to the idea of money <laughs> in general. It's just like, it is so ridiculous. Money is ridiculous. And capitalism is just like stinky poo poo. <laughs> but look at how much fun we can have <laughs> with our money. If you like playing Monopoly, you'll love coming Canadian to Canada. <laughs> And going to the shops. <laughs> You'll love our toonies and loonies. Oh, man. Come, come for the money. Come see what Canada's all about. Come for the money. Stay for the exchange rate benefits. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's time. I want to preface this by saying uh, it's a complicated thing to, to talk about bad dads and rad dads when you've got two documentaries in the mix. Mm-hmm. And when these are films that um, some of them I can't even find on IMDb yet. Mm-hmm. So we did a little bit of pre-discussion. Bit of a collab. Yeah, we collabed this week. And interestingly, when we were like, you know, maybe we should usually we're very it's authentic. We're not we're not fibbing, we're not fooling y'all. We don't know what each other have picked for Bad Dad and Rad Dad before we talk about them. But today we do. Yes. And when we sat down, and Elliot, you you said to me, maybe we should talk about it. We actually already we're in agreement. So had we surprised each other, it would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to be disingenuous because we, we would be acting and I don't know that we're great actors if we were like, oh my goodness, you picked the same person as me. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to talk about our bad dad or do you want to talk about our rad dad? I want to talk about the rad dad. Okay. I mean, we're both going to talk about both, but I will tell y'all who are listening with bated breath who our bad dad of the week is. So our bad dad of the is week. Is it the bad? Even though we haven't seen all the films of Ife, is this the official bad dad of Ife? <laughs> I mean, to be clear, Ife is not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. We do not speak for them. <laughs> yeah, we don't speak for Ife. And Ife doesn't speak for us. Um, we're just buddies. Yeah. And, and we're collaborating with Ife um, because we personally believe in the importance of local film festivals and we like the work that they're doing. And I think they like the work that we're doing. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, we'll say this is the official bad dad. <laughs> <laughs> there's many more movies, many more of which we want to see. Um, I think there's probably going to be a worse dad than this. But in the four that we watched. So our- it's bad dad of the week. 
loosely bad dad advice. Yeah. We'll report back. Um, we'll, we're going to tell you when the festival is. If you're in Edmonton or you want to like friggin' fly down and come to the festival, we're going to be there. Um, we're going to be seeing lots of movies. Um, there's a couple we'll kind of shout out at the end that we're really excited to see. Um, but yeah, the loose bad dad of Ife, the official bad dad of the week is Kathleen Turner's character of Bev from The Swearing Jar. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit about why I felt this way. I know that you agree with me because we talked about this ahead of time, but then I but I haven't heard about why you agree with me. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think is really inappropriate about Bev as a parental figure, so she plays the character of Simon's mom, is that um, she over shares about the difficulties she had in her relationship with Simon's father and then puts that burden on him, mm-hmm. which I think is a really inappropriate thing for a parent to do, and then burdens her child with negative expectations she has of him based on who his father is was. Mm-hmm. She's also completely unapologetic. Like, it makes mm-hmm. some pretty big missteps that are understandable within the narrative of the film, but require an apology and a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you tell me. Yeah, she's just kind of the embodiment of really like stubborn mom energy. Bad yeah. dad with stubborn mom energy. Yeah. Uh but she's yeah, she's unapologetic, but I feel like she oversteps and she puts the yeah, like you said, puts these burdens on Simon. But at the end of it, the defense is that you know, she loves and cares about her son so yeah. much. And I, that's some gaslight energy. Yeah. And it's something that I feel happens to a lot of parent child dynamics. You know, I just read, I just listened to my first audiobook ever, as I mentioned earlier, um, which was Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died. And her mom, Jeanette McCurdy's mom, gives some Bev energy. Like mm-hmm. Bev gives some Jeanette McCurdy's mom energy. Really great book. Really good audiobook, by the way. Yeah. And I, I think it's just that it's that thing that drives me nuts of just like this kind of unconditional love for her son, but at what cost, right? Mm-hmm. Like of she does, she thinks that everything she's doing to and for Simon is actually not helpful and kind of hurtful. Well, you know, there's something that I think really... And and I'll let you speak to this after, but I think I can speak for both of us when I say that this is something that is like one of the things that bothers us most in other in like another person is if they think that just because you're biological family, that means that like unrequited love and like support is required. Yeah. Like that person is your family. And so you must love them. Yep. And I personally think that um, love needs to be reciprocal and earned and trusted and boundaries need to be respected. And that like just because you're family doesn't mean that you deserve all of someone's energy. And Bev like embodies that I am your mom and so I can say and do whatever I want and you must love me anyway. Yep. And that is some really dangerous dynamic stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've had to deal with a lot of that from different people with everything that came out about my dad and Mm -hmm. my choosing to not continue a relationship with him, at least as of right now. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, I, I t- it took me a long time to get out of that mindset of your family. So you have to stand by family and mm-hmm. you have to you have to put things aside because it's family. And they're like, I, I don't think that just being able to, you know, have this sort of conscious uncoupling of some very. You've consciously uncoupled with your dad. Yeah. Of all of the bad things that this person has done uh, or the attitudes the person has about the bad things that they've done. I I don't think that that's fair to put on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that's healthy. And I, I think, yeah, like I actually think that in some cases, you know, not my own, but in some cases that can be a really dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, and I think that, I think that the, that Bev is, you know, it, it doesn't get really intense, but it's uh, intense enough that I hate it. so kathleen turner's character of bev kick rocks yeah pee pee poo poo pee pee poo poo all right low-hanging fruit on the rad dad of the week again kind of a weird week because we have two documentaries and it's weird to kind of choose rad dads from you know real people who are out there but the rad dad of the week is lavar burton yeah Uh, hands down no contest yeah um he is the world's dad. <laughs> <laughs> he just, his undying passion for wanting to put stories in front of the kids of the world and show and show them the world and that they matter mm-hmm. and what they have to say or what they think matters and that they have voices their own that don't need to be written or manipulated by adults, I think is amazing and special and the fact that you know he recognizes the importance and the influence he has on on the world and the things that he's able to do and he harnesses them beautifully like i love that there's a bit in the documentary uh butterfly in the sky where he just talks about people love listening to me read and he (laughs) has a podcast where he just reads stuff i think it's called lavar burton reads yeah and it that's so it's so lovely that he 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 knows where he knows where he's needed Aww. and he shows up in his very special way uh so yeah i mean of course it's lavar burton's red dad yeah he i'll just add to that in that um, both like on reading rainbow when it was on the air and from what we see in this documentary like it's just so clear that he takes on work that means something to him and that he thinks matters within like the wider scope of what he's doing. Oh yeah. He was in roots, which we didn't know. And like, embarrassingly, we mostly only know about roots from like that 70s show. Yeah. But like, yeah. And then he was in Star Trek, Star Trek next generation, I think. Yes. Um, but he clearly sees a responsibility in like everything that he does, which I think all of us should consider like what we do in the world, both in work and in like our interactions with others. Like we have a responsibility for how we show up in the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And he embodies that. He's passionate about what he does, but also even within what he does, it's shown clearly in this documentary that he stands up for himself within those projects. And he's just like the most beautiful person. Yeah. And also basically he is my dad because we've got the same last name. Oh yeah. So, so pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a really, I really like what you said there. Like it, it's kind of made me reflect a little bit more of just like, you know, kind of an, in everything that you do, whether it's your job or your, you know, your home life or whatever it is, 
like kind or like of, going to the grocery store. Yeah. Like, well, like kind of reflecting on how, like, how do I want to be needed or what, mm. what, what is the thing that I add to something, you know, if it's in your job, like what's the thing that I bring to the table that nobody else does that, you know, makes it more, makes whatever you're working on more special or, you know, it would, it would lose that, that part of the the project or whatever it is, if I wasn't a part of it. And I like thinking about things that way. I think that LeVar Burton has just had years and years of just crafting exactly that. He knows. He was like young when reading Rainbow started and he still had that sense of self. And I find him inspiring. Big time. All so right. LeVar Burton, be your, be your, your dad. dad. <laughs> I got too excited. I had to start saying it. LeVar Burton, be your dad. you've got the same last name as me. Be my dad. <laughs> You're already my dad. <laughs> You're already my dad. Oh, oh, yeah. Can't say enough good things about LeVar Burton. Yeah. LeVar Burton, do you want to come on our show? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Oh, my God. That'd be so good. Yeah, you want to watch the movies with us? Oh. We'll be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Our Rad Wreck of the Week is a bit of a repeat offender, but also very, you know, appropriate to this episode is... Go to the Edmonton International Film Festival. What we've watched this week, these four films are but a small tidbit of what is being offered in the programming. I believe that they're off they're gonna be releasing the full schedule very, very soon. So you'll get uh you'll get to see everything that's gonna be playing. But yeah, from what we saw, it is a really great preview of what's to come. And you know, it runs from September, Thursday, September 22nd to Saturday, October 1st. So, you know, it's a full week, 10 days of of films to experience from all around the world of different lengths too. They, they, they have a really great short film, a uh, set of short film programming every year. Just highly recommend going to IFE, supporting independent filmmaking and you know, as somebody that was a part of the team behind the advertising um, each year for IFE and this year, it's all based around that idea of uh, see films before they're big. Mm-hmm. You know, film fests offer that. You're able to go see these smaller independent films that are still maybe getting off the ground. And, you know, later they become a huge part of the cultural zeitgeist. I mean, mm-hmm. a part of that that I always go back to is Parasite. Mm-hmm. Parasite had a, a premiere at IFE and went on to win Best Picture. Um, the short film, oh gosh, what's it called? If Anything Happens, I Love You. Yes. That ended up winning an Oscar as well and it also premiered at IFE. So it's a really great opportunity to get in on the ground level and have that sort of, you know, you can have that cloud of like, I saw it first. <laughs> yeah, and just to like shout out some of the things we're really excited to see. So on top of everything we saw here, um, and we're definitely planning to go see Butterfly in the Sky again. Mm-hmm. Um, some other things that are going to be playing that we're really excited about are the new Hirokazu Kureda film, Broker. So he did Shoplifters, which mm-hmm. we've talked about and we really love. We're excited for that. Um, I'm excited for the film Brother, which is based on a book by David Cheriandi, a Canadian writer. Um, several of my colleagues actually, actually teach it uh, in English at the grade 10 level. It's a really important story um, set in Toronto's Regent Park um, and I think inspired by a lot of real life stuff. Um, I'm really excited for Triangle of Sadness because oh, yeah. that looks bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, was there anything else that we were? I don't know, but they're showing lots of stuff. 
And like you said, we're going to be there. We're going to see as much as we can. Um, and we implore all of you to do the same. It's uh, it's a great festival and it's our friends over there at IFE are they're doing the Lord's work bringing these films to Edmonton. Um, if you see us, say hi. Please do. But that's our red wreck. Go to IFE. Try yep. and see at least one movie during the film festival. Totally. Preferably more. Yeah. yeah. Even if if even if you go out, take some take some little buddies with you, get some snacks. Go see Butterfly in the Sky. At the very least, go see Butterfly in the Sky. Yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we drop a new episode every Thursday, and you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Follow us on Twitter at baddadraddad. LeVar Burton. Hit us up on, on Twitter. And Instagram. And Instagram. Oh, you can also get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our usernames are Elliot Cuss and Kylie Burton. Links for those are in the show notes. And I just have to insert and say next week's episode is going to be a banger. We are seeing yeah. some big deal movies that you've probably already seen and you probably love and we cannot wait to talk about all of them and it's probably going to be a really long episode. Yeah, it's it's stacked and we're going to have a lot to say. It is stacked because Metro Cinema it's, is playing some great It's movies. like they knew that we got a silver screen pass and they're trying to make it worth this worth it for us. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have it paid off by the end of this month. Between IFE, Metro Cinema's September lineup and all of the horror movies that are coming out in September, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to be able to do anything but watch movies. Pretty Good much. thing we have a podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening to it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Or send us a little DM and let us know what listening to us means to you. It means oh. a lot to us. Yeah. But that's going to do it for these two stinkies this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Bye.